0: Welcome. We're glad to have Catherine this morning, uh, bringing God's word to us. I'm a little out of breath because I'm a grandmother now, and I'm bringing my grandson and everything takes longer. (laughs) Anyway, so welcome. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this passage. When I opened it this week, it almost looked like, wait, we read this one last week. Did I get the right one? But then I thought, You know that we need to hear it again, and um, we pray that you'd be with Catherine as she brings it to us again and expands on, on the message, and help it to go deep into our hearts and minds, and help it to affect our actions and our view of who we are, Lord, in Christ. Thank you that we are not under sin and death and the law, but that we are under grace, Lord, and it leads to righteousness and to eternal life. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay.
1: Okay. Good morning. morning. I'm glad everyone made it despite the uh, traffic and road conditions.
0: If you can't hear, just raise your hand, and we'll, we'll make sure that uh, Catherine. Good, a little louder.
1: Good, louder, good. Okay. When I was 10 years old, I learned how to sew. And since then, I have always loved looking at beautiful colors and prints in fabric. On the flip side, I also love the color combination of black and white. It's bold, it's stark, it's crisp, there is no gray. If you take the colors of black and white and think of the contrast as concepts, you might think of dark and light, bad and good, night and day, wrong and right, dirty and clean, and so on. As I was reading the passage of Romans six fifteen to 23, the contrast of black and white immediately came to my mind. Paul makes it very clear that you can only serve one master, and that you are either serving the master of sin or the master of obedience, God. It is one or the other, it's black and white, there is no gray. Keep this image of black and white in mind as we dig deeper into the passage and see the many contrasts that Paul makes in choosing a master. Paul begins verse 15 with a short question. What then? In order to understand this question, we need to take a look at the previous verse. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. In verse 15, Paul then asks a rhetorical question about that statement. Are we to sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? In other words, Since we're not under the law and therefore no punishment, are we free to keep sinning and live any way we want? Verse 15 sounds very similar to the first verse of chapter 6, where Paul also begins with a short question followed by another question. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Here one could wrongly view sinning as something positive, thinking that the more we sin, the more we will see God's grace. Paul realizes that some may get the wrong idea that we can keep sinning and do whatever we want as we're not under the law and no punishment, and that God's grace will cover us. He clearly states that both questions in chapter 6, verses 1 and 15, present an incorrect understanding of God's grace, and he emphatically answers, by no means, to both of those questions. A very simple definition of grace would be unmerited favor. But to really understand to really understand grace is to fully grasp that Christ's sacrifice replaces the law as the true means for salvation, and that we have done nothing and cannot do anything to be worthy of salvation. Fully realizing what Christ has done for us changes our heart, and in gratitude, we want to obey the law, not obeying out of fear or an expectation that works will earn us favor with God. But if we are not under the law, are we free to do whatever we want? And how does the law, the Ten Commandments, tie in with this? Do we need to follow them or not? One does not have to obey the Ten Commandments. To be saved for eternal life. However, if you don't obey the law, you are not giving your allegiance to God uh, through obedience, and thus you really are a slave to sin. So not obeying the Ten Commandments and living your life doing whatever you want is an indication of which master you are serving. In John fifteen fourteen, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. To better explain grace, Paul uses an illustration of slavery. In verse 19, Paul explains that he is speaking in human terms because of their natural limitations. Paul is trying to describe grace by using an analogy that the Romans would understand. In Roman times, people became slaves as a result of war, birth, piracy, or long distance trade from outside the empire. Voluntary slavery also existed. If someone owed a debt or is living in poverty, they could offer themselves as a slave in exchange for food and shelter. R. Kent Hughes gives some interesting background on slavery in Roman times. It is estimated that the population of Rome in the first century was about one third slaves. So vast was the slave population that a suggestion that slaves be made to wear a distinctive style of clothing was abandoned because it would reveal their numerical strength. Moreover, many free men had once been slaves. Thus, it is very likely that more than one half of the Roman church either were or had been enslaved. Although we are not classified as slaves in our society, we can be enslaved to our work, possessions, the pursuit of wealth or status, just to name a few. And we obey the things that enslave us. Paul states this in verse 16, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. Paul is presenting a contrast here between the old self when we didn't know and follow Christ and the new self in which our sins are forgiven through Christ's sacrifice on the cross. The old self followed the master of sin. The new self died to sin and follows the master of God through obedience. If you choose sin, that leads to death. If you choose obedience to God, that leads to righteousness. So again, we see these black and white contrasts the old self versus the new self, sin versus obedience, and death versus righteousness. The definition here of death is separation from God, which eliminates the possibility of living in eternity with God and Jesus in heaven. The definition of righteousness is conformity to God's law in one's affections, mind, and will. If we examine our hearts, we can see where our allegiance is. Since we have died to our old self, it doesn't make sense to want to continue in sin by not obeying God's laws. With the new self, we have a changed heart that wants to obey God, our new master, out of love, not grudgingly. In verse 17, Paul gives thanks to God for what he has done in the lives of the Roman Christians. They were once slaves to sin and disobedience, as we also once were. And the Holy Spirit changed their hearts to obey God's truth. When it says we used to be slaves to sin, that is what we are by nature. We are born into it from the moment that Adam sinned. But once God's word really penetrates our heart, there are real life changes. It is no longer just an intellectual understanding of God or obligatory following of the law we obey the law out of deep gratitude for God's grace. When I became a Christian as a teenager, I could see changes in my attitude. Whereas I had viewed going to church with my family as an obligation, I then started viewing church as an opportunity to get to know God. Attending a youth group and reading my Bible also became important. As I gained a deeper understanding of Christ's love for me, In dying for my sins. John Stott says, by birth we are in Adam, the slaves of sin. By grace and faith we are in Christ, the slaves of God. Tim Keller states, slavery to sin begins at our birth. Slavery to God begins at our new birth. So slavery to God begins when we are converted. This could be at a young age or in one's final moment like the thief on the cross. Verse 18 states, you've been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. At first, this seems to be a contradiction. When someone is freed from slavery, you think of freedom as being independence. A freed slave from one master wouldn't choose to go right back into slavery with a different master. But here Paul states that in being set free from sin, you have become slave, slaves of righteousness. Some commentaries define this as being slaves who do what God approves of, or slaves to righteous living. The moment you become a Christian, you are no longer under the reign or ruling power of sin, as we read in verse 14, for sin will have no dominion over you. Although this term slavery at first seems negative, Paul began this letter by describing himself as a slave of Christ, using the Greek word doulos, a bondservant. Exodus 21.5 describes a bond servant as a slave who says, I love my master. I don't want to go free. Paul reminds the Roman Christians that they had once chosen to be slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, which led to more lawlessness. Sin is a trap, drawing you into a cycle of sin. Once you start going down that slippery slope, even Christians can keep backsliding it is so easy to rationalize sin. One might think, well, what I did or thought wasn't so bad. I didn't murder anyone. Or we might rate our sin on a scale of one to 10 and convince ourselves that our sins are just little ones and therefore not so bad. But sin is a deceptive master, and we falsely think that we can control our sins or even cover them up. And God makes it very, very clear in black and white, that sin is sin, whether it is an obvious outward sin, an inward thought contrary to his teaching, or a sin of omission in not doing what you know is the right thing to do. Paul encourages the Roman church to now present themselves as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Again, he reinforces this contrast, slaves to impurity leading to lawlessness versus slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. The definition of sanctification in our workbook is the work of God's free grace, whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God, and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. In verse 20, Paul informs his readers that when they were slaves of sin, They were free in regard to righteousness. Basically, righteousness had no hold over them. They were free from that authority since they were under the master of sin. Michael Kruger gives a very good description in his talk on Romans regarding the master of sin. He says the master of sin is a bad master and tricks you into thinking you're on the right path, but instead it leads to death. Sin controls and rules you. It is a taskmaster that you can never satisfy, and you never feel satisfied. You are really a slave to impurity and lawlessness. Sin will devour you. In Roman times, slaves had no power to do what they wanted to do. They had to do what the master wanted. Whereas we may think of freedom as being able to do whatever we want, Paul emphasizes in this passage that real freedom lies in slavery to God. R. Kent Hughes states, obedience is the key to our liberation. Why is obedience so important? Because God's law is good, and God uses it for good in our lives. In verse 21, Paul challenges the Roman Christians to think back to when they were slaves to sin. He asks, what benefits did they reap? What fruit did they get? Obedience to sin left them ashamed. Those sinful acts brought death. Tim Keller asks the question, how does sin bring death? He states that ultimately sin brings condemnation and separation from God for eternity. But he says Paul is also talking of a death that these Christians used to experience, a death that non-believers know now, as well as one they will know in the future. He is referring to brokenness of life. So even in the present, we feel the death or consequences of sin. Verse 22 contrasts the fruit you get as slaves to sin versus slaves to God. When a slave to sin, the fruit brought shame and lawlessness, resulting in death. Galatians five nineteen to 21 states the works of the flesh are evident sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. In contrast, as slaves to God, the fruit leads to sanctification and ultimately eternal life. In our present life, we see in Galatians 522 to 23, the fruit of the Spirit, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So what are some practical tools that can help us choose obedience, God, as our master? Douglas Moose states, we must root all of our obedience in those disciplines of the Christian life that put us in touch with God's own power, reading scripture, worship, And prayer. It is through these means that God has promised to communicate His grace to us. When I look back on my walk with the Lord, there were times I wish I had been more in the Word and more grounded in the Word, or saw Christians in my life to have helped me be more accountable, or relied more on the Holy Spirit and not my own will. But thankfully, we have a loving and forgiving God, and despite past failures. As we each move forward in life, we can take comfort in the fact that God isn't finished with us yet. I have always liked the quote, today is the first day of the rest of your life. Many people have regrets, but this quote encourages me that no matter what age or stage we are in life, we can always make changes in our lives and start each day fresh. Lamentations three twenty two to 23 says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. A few months back, God was nudging me to pull out a file box of Bible verse cards that I had memorized years ago, but long forgotten. Being very rusty on memorization, I started with the shortest verses. I now aim to review several verses daily as they are helping me to dwell on God's truths. To be obedient to God as our master, we need to know his instructions and guidance in our lives. Psalm 119.11, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I may not sin against thee. Psalm 32.8, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. To be more grounded in the word, I have been using Bible reading plans available online. A plan to read through the New Testament Psalms and Proverbs may take six months, or there are plans to read through the entire Bible in a year. There are chronological plans, thematic, and a variety of others. I print out the plan, keep it in my Bible, and I check off the reading each day as I go along. I do sometimes get off schedule, but the important thing is not to give up, keep reading. A reading plan is a great tool to encourage consistency in being in God's word and receiving God's instruction and blessings regularly. There are also organizations that can provide daily devotionals via email, another great tool for being in the word. For accountability, I'm trying to be more intentional when together with friends to have a sharing time, maybe share a meaningful Bible verse or share how God is currently working in a situation. And I'm asking God to help me turn to him first to seek guidance rather than hastily doing my will. Even in choosing to follow God and obedience as our master, God knows our shortcomings and that we will not be without sin on this side of heaven, I came across a prayer that someone wrote. It's called a morning prayer, and I'd like to share it with you. So far today, Lord, I've done all right. I haven't gossiped, haven't lost my temper, haven't been greedy, haven't told a lie, been grumpy, nasty, selfish, or overindulgent. I am very thankful for that. However, in a few minutes, Lord, I'm going to get out of bed. <laughs> and from then on, I'm going to need a lot of help.
0: <laughs>
1: Amen. <laughs> Being aware of our sins, it is important to keep short accounts, confessing that sin, and thanking God for his forgiveness. 1 John 1.9, and if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Furthermore, in choosing a master, it cannot be like a pendulum. You know, one month choosing to follow God and obedience, and then swinging the next month to follow the master of sin with the pet sins that we hate to let go of. Sins can easily become habits to which we become dull. We may often do or say something without really thinking about it or even acknowledging it as sin. In contrast, doing the right things and obeying God as our master can also become a habit. Google says it takes a minimum of 66 days for something to become a habit. And of course, we have the power of the Holy Spirit to help us in turning sinful habits and behavior into obedient and righteous behavior. Douglas Moo states the following on the pursuit of righteousness. Holiness, baghiosmos, denotes either the state of holiness or the process of sanctification. In either case, Paul sees our commitment to righteousness as resulting in godlikeness. In an interesting comparison, Paul suggests that our commitment to serve righteousness should be just as strong as our previous commitment to impurity and wickedness. One thinks of the single-minded pursuit with which some people seek fame, money, or power. Our pursuit of righteousness and holiness should be just as dedicated. In thinking about our pursuit of holiness, I thought a sobering challenge would be, rather than rating our our sins on a scale of 1 to 10, rate ourselves 1 to 10 on how seriously we view God's Word. Does it really motivate me to make changes in my life, or do I water down the seriousness of sin? and carry on without allowing conviction to penetrate my heart. The final verse in this passage is one that many know and have memorized, Romans six twenty three, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Even in this verse, one sees the black and white contrast, wages of sin versus free gift, death, death, versus eternal life. For the wages of sin as death gives a very somber picture of the consequences in choosing sin as our master. This spiritual death is a separation from God who is holy. In contrast, placing our trust in God as our master, we receive the free gift of eternal life. The gift is free, no strings attached, and it is through Christ and his sacrifice for our sins that we have this promise and hope of eternal life. There are several elements involved in accepting God's free gift of eternal life. Initially, one hears the gospel, which is the good news that Christ was sacrificed on the cross for our sins. He died for my sins, and Christ died for your sins. Then, in hearing the gospel, the truth convicts us and impacts our heart. Maybe even after going to church your entire life, you now may hear or read something in the Bible that really impacts you for the first time and seeing your need to personally accept Christ as your Savior. Once the gospel penetrates your heart, one wants to obey God as your master, and real life changes are seen just as Paul saw with the Roman Christians. It is obedience that comes from gratitude and faith. And finally we thank God and give him glory as all of this is because of his grace. John 5:24 also conveys this message. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death into life. In closing, I encourage you this week to reflect on this passage and the many black and white contrasts between obeying the master of sin versus the master of obedience, God. Here is a quick summary. Law versus grace. Death versus righteousness. Lawlessness versus sanctification. Slaves of sin, slaves of God. Fruit when slaves of sin. Fruit when slaves of God. Wages of sin versus free gift of God. Death versus eternal life. Take the time to examine your heart. Thank God for being a kind and generous master and ask him to help you live obediently to him from a heart of gratitude. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for freeing us from the wages of sin and death and offering us the free gift of eternal life through Christ's sacrifice. Thank you for your loving grace and for being a wonderful master. Help us through the Holy Spirit to be obedient to you. Amen.
0: <laughs> that summary again. Yes.
1: I encourage you this week to reflect on the passage, on this passage, and the many black and white contrasts between obeying the master of sin versus the master of obedience, God. Here is a quick summary Law versus grace, death versus righteousness. Lawlessness versus sanctification, slaves of sin, slaves of God, fruit when slaves of sin, fruit when slaves of God, wages of sin versus free gift of God, death versus eternal life. Thank you. You're welcome.